Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all here on this beautiful morning uh, and uh, excited to be at Hope Des Moines. Are you excited to be here? All right, let's do this today. Just to make sure, because I believe most of you, but a couple of you are holding out. I'm going to put a backup microphone over here. Turn the person next to you. Elbow them if you have to. I mean, don't punch anybody in the face this morning, but just rile them up a little bit and say, man, you picked a great day to come to church. It is a great day to come to church because God is present, God's on the move, and God uh, is up to all kinds of things, right? Baptisms are fantastic. Congratulations again, you guys. Uh, something definitely to be celebrating, right? But if we had time, and I don't think this place has enough donut holes and coffee to supply us this, but if we took the time uh, to, to go around and have each person share, right, a little bit about what's something that you're celebrating right now, what's something that's awesome, what's... What's something you feel like God has given you, a blessing or an opportunity or something like that, right? Something that you have to be thankful for. Chances are in this room, every single one of us will be able to come up with something, right? Which is awesome. And I, I've had a few of these moments this summer, and I, that's kind of where I want to begin today. But, you know, have you ever had a job where you have to plan and you speak in front of these people and then, like, you check the news before you get up to speak in front of these people, like, the day before, and you have these great plans, and then it's like, oh, what am I going to do with that? Right? I mean, I, was, I, I have been so grateful and so thankful lately for some of the things that God has been doing. And it's not, it's not the big monumental things that God does in my life that, that take my breath away. I mean, I, I have many things to be thankful for, and I, I am in awe sometimes about the way that God has altered my life in profound ways. But sometimes it's just like the little tiny details that give me goosebumps in my life. Right? When I'm just praying for something or I'm just thinking, gosh, this would be so awesome, but... Lord, I totally understand if this is just me being lazy or whatever, right? And then it's like, oh, it just, ha it just, it just, the fact that he cares about us that much to not just worry about the big stuff, the little stuff sometimes really takes my breath away. And so that's where I want to start today was this idea like God's on the move, woo, rah, 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 right? And then I watch the news and I'm guessing you all have the same apps on your phone that I do, right? Or you watch the TV or you pick up the paper or whatever it is and you're just like, what? Like, where, where are we going? What is happening, right? What is up with this world that we live in? And just for the record, I just want to remind everybody this morning, and I think we all know this, but maybe we need to hear this again, right? The love and the grace of God is for every single person. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or, or what you believe even or, or what, you, you know, what kind of food you like to eat or whatever it is, right? Every single one of us, Bible says, Genesis chapter 1 has been created. Humanity, all of us, created in the image of God. And so there's equality, there's value, there's beauty, there's all these things, and yet we live in this world that wrestles with this idea, uh, and so we see pain and challenge coming in the midst of that. And so I was thinking a lot yesterday as I was uh, preparing and preached here last night, and then got up and spent some more time reading some stuff this morning, and came here, and I'm like, you know what? God is on the move, right? Despite the challenges that we face, and despite what seems like setbacks or detours or just uh, craziness in this world that we live in, that doesn't change the fact that God loves you and I way too much uh, to leave us alone, to come after us. And so I am going to start this morning with this idea that God is on the move. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's on the move, baby. I put the baby on the end there just so it'll be a slightly creepy, but not that creepy, whatever, so... No, you can edit that however you like, right? But God is on the move. And, and I'm reminded of this in so many ways in my own life, but I just, I just had to share a little bit of this because I'm still just in awe. This is a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe. Actually, tomorrow, this picture was taken. And this is my family, uh, plus our next-door neighbor, Tisha. 
uh, and Pastor Ben from the West Des Moines campus. Uh, my youngest son is not able to go to vacation Bible school, uh, so he had, to, he had to sit out one more year, but he gets to go next year. And it, it'll be awesome, but you might be thinking, oh, that's cool, like your kids got to go to VBS, God is on the move. Well, that was awesome, right? But what takes my breath away about this picture is my oldest, Gwyneth, uh, in the Adidas shirt there, the green shirt, Right? I mean, they say register early, do all this stuff, right? And like two weeks before VBS, I'm like, oh, I should register my kids. And as we're having this conversation, I'm saying to them, like, you guys want to go to VBS, right? Uh, uh, my daughter, like, runs out of the house. And I'm like, where what, did I upset her? Like, where did she go? She ran next door because the first thing when she thought VBS was, Tisha needs to come to this. Tisha, I want Tisha to go with me. And it's not just because, I mean, she's comfortable in large crowds, I think, because she grew, or is growing up as a pastor's kid and whatever. So she's comfortable with that. I don't think it was that she needed her to go, but I think she genuinely wanted her to go. And I thought to myself, this girl gets it, right? 90% of the time in my household, she does not get it. No, I'm just kidding. She, she, she's learning, right? Just as all of us are a work in progress, but she gets that. And so that began uh, to, to ca- catch my attention, and that was awesome. Uh, but what really gets me about this picture is my son, the one that Ben's got his arm around. His name's Callan. He's seven years old, the guy holding the water bottle up there, right? And what gets me is five days before this, he had surgery. Uh, he was born with a couple medical challenges, mostly to do with his larynx and his swallowing and his lungs. Uh, we basically waterboarded him for the first year of his life, not intentionally. I want you all to know that. But when he swallows, we discovered uh, after he had some growth issues. Like when he swallows, liquids go into his lungs rather than his tummy. If you've ever choked, like tried to breathe water, it doesn't work well, right? Uh, and so he had uh, some, some surgery there. And then they also, get this, removed part of his thymus, moved his aorta and stitched his trachea to his aorta so that he'll be able to breathe better. He's got tracheal malacia, which means that when he coughs, every, everything, his trachea and his bronchial tubes are all Flimsy. The cartilage is, is different for some reason. And so when he coughs, everything rattles around. Can you imagine having a cold and not being able to cough anything out? Right? And so he's prone to these lung infections. And they're sort of like, hey, we got an idea. Let's move his aorta. And his parents were like, what? Right? Apparently it's three millimeters thick. The wall is. And some, somebody with better skill than I can can do a U-turn with a needle in three millimeters of tissue. Anyway, too much information. We're in the hospital and he has this surgery. It was eight hours of surgery. Right? And so we're in the hospital, and they said between two and five days, and of course we heard two, the doctors probably heard five when they said that, and so it felt like we were there forever. Finally, on the Sunday night before VBS begins, we get discharged from the hospital. It's like five o'clock at night, we have dinner, we go home, we are wiped out, because if you've ever spent any time in the hospital, you know sleep is not really part of the equation. You get it when you can, but people keep coming in and out, and they want to see you and check on you and do all these different things, and so I'm thinking to myself, Sunday night, there is no way that this kid is going to vacation Bible school. But weeks before, I thought, man, there's a chance, right? God, maybe you can work through this, and maybe you can make this a possibility. You guys, the next Monday morning, the first day of week two of VBS at our West Des Moines campus, my son, Callan, woke me up because he came, and he's like, Dad, it's VBS. Let's go. We're going to VBS. He already had his shirt on. This kid never dresses himself, right? <laughs> he is a path of least resistance guy, and yet here he is. And I said to myself, God, you're on the move. And my wife said, well, if he'd been sleeping and didn't want to go, does that mean God is not on the move? No, right? But it does, I point to all this as God continuing to answer and wrestle with prayers. Even on a day like this, right? In a world like this where we experience, and I don't know what everybody's carrying in here today. Some of us, I guarantee you, we're wrestling with pain and we're wrestling with 
an absence of joy. There are challenges in our lives, but the truth is that God is on the move anyway. God's been on the move for a long time. That's why I love this summer as we've been studying the book of Acts. If you've ever read the book of Acts, it is worth reading because you probably understand it's like a season of 24. Did anybody ever watch 24, Kiefer Sutherland? It's one of those action-packed movie or TV shows where like, you had to take a shower afterwards, right? Because it's so intense. I, I would like get done watching that show and I'd just start barking commands at people. I'm like, we gotta go. I drive really fast. I'm like, okay, calm down, right? But it's like one thing after another, one moment after another just kept happening in that show. It was intense. And the book of Acts is the same way, except it's story after story of God taking people's lives and he's turning them completely upside down, right? It's story after story of God wrecking people's lives in the most incredible way, the best possible way. I mean, I think about the disciples at the very beginning of this story, right after Jesus has been killed, right? They're, they're behind locked doors. Think about that, right? That's where the church began, was behind locked doors doors because they're terrified. All the disciples are gathered in a room and they're not even sure if this whole thing is true or not. They're not sure what to do. They don't know where to go or what to do. And yet Jesus shows up and he promises them the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit shows up. And by uh, the next few chapters of the story, we can tell that things have been completely flipped upside down, right? You take this blind beggar, right, that's asking for silver and gold. And Peter offers him, he comes to him, he says, I don't have silver or gold, but I got something better. And his life, after he's healed, completely turned upside down. I think about the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9, who's on his way to kill some Christians. He's against the church. And God turns him completely around. Not even the people that run the jails that are trying to hold these apostles can escape the fact that God is on the move. God has been on the move throughout this book of Acts, and as we've been studying all summer, and he continues to do this every single day. And here's what I love the most about it. I love that as God is on the move, he brings us his gospel, his good news. And what I love about this gospel is the fact that it changes everything, right? The gospel changes everything. If you were to ask any of these people in these stories, even if we were to go around and spend some time sharing our God stories about the things he's done in our midst, right? None of us would probably say, oh yeah, Jesus, he put a new coat of paint on my life, right? He's not a band-aid for a broken arm. The gospel changes everything, the gospel changes absolutely everything. Paul says like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, at one time we thought about Christ merely from a human point of view. And I love looking at this right now because I'm convinced that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in the book of Acts, right? I mean, stuff is going on all over the place. And this is what he's writing. He's writing, at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now because he's tasted, because he's seen. He goes on to say this, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, the new life has begun. The old is gone, the new life has begun. I think about this, the idea that this gospel that we, that we celebrate, that we gather to remind ourselves of, to worship the God who made all of this happen. I think about this, I'm reminded of the first time that I got glasses, when I finally decided to take the plunge and get glasses. I have my sophomore year... <coughs> sophomore year of high school, and just to peel back the curtain a little bit and let you know a little bit about Pastor Andy, right? I was absolutely a nerd in high school. In my sophomore geometry class, think about this for a second, I got not just an A, I got 101% my first quarter. Everybody say, ooh. Everybody say, what? What a weird, no, don't say that, right? 
I love math. I don't know why. I think it was the fixing and the problem solving and all that stuff. I could like have control over it or something. I don't know. Right? But I loved it. And so I was doing really well in the class and, and I was sitting in the front row and enjoyed the teacher and this whole thing. And eventually after the end of the first quarter, my teacher comes to me and he says, you know what? I need you to sit in the back row. I'm like, oh, okay, why? He's like, well, I've got some kids I need to keep my eye on, right? You're doing really well. Why don't you go sit in the back row? Months go by, the end of the semester wraps up, and I'm failing the class. I am failing the class. And my teacher is like, okay, are you on drugs or what? Like, what's going on, right? I was so embarrassed. I couldn't read the board. From the back row, I couldn't read the board. I was, wor- I mean, think about this now. Right? I was embarrassed somebody was going to call me four eyes. Like, I don't, it doesn't make any sense, right? And shame and embarrassment will do funny things to us. It'll impact our lives in crazy ways. But he said, all right, I, we can handle this. Let's go get you glasses. And so my mom drove me to get glasses, right? I was driving and I couldn't even read the board. My mom's like, you're not driving. We're going to the doctor, the eye doctor. We're going to go get some glasses. So we go and we get these glasses and I, I, I walk out of the the, the building after I've got the contacts in for the first time, I'm looking, I'm like, Mom, look at that tree. That tree, it has leaves. And it's, it's not just a big blob, but it's like, it's so cool. You can see like each little one. And, we, and we're driving home and I see the sunset, right? And I'm like, Mom, do you see like, like it's like there's a little, a little pencil shading around like each of the clouds. And it, I mean, it's not just glowing orange, this orange blob. Like it's beautiful, right? I look at my mom, I'm like, Mom, you're so old. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But you guys, it was like a whole new world. Everything had changed in that moment when it came to my ability to perceive the world around me. Right? I'd been walking around with just things blurry and fuzzy and even now, like, oh yeah, there's people here, right? You put on your glasses, things begin to change. It's like you're looking through a completely different lens. And the same is true for the gospel. When Jesus comes into our life, when we begin to understand right, that we aren't alone in this world, right, but we are members, we are sons and daughters of a king who, who live in a kingdom, who is ruled by somebody who has the power, all of the authority and the power to change anything, and who loves us enough to come after us, to pursue us, it changes every single thing, it changes everything about our lives, we get a new identity, we get a new purpose, we get a new story, we get a new meaning, we get a new perspective, right, we get new passions, We get a new everything, including experiences and ways in which we find ourselves living with tension. Everybody say tension. Tension. Here's the thing, and it took me a long time to understand and become okay with this because I don't think this was part of the Christian story that I inherited growing up. When Jesus shows up, I'm not convinced things will always get easier. I think we will have more joy. I think we'll have more peace. But I also think life in some ways will get harder because we're trying to orient ourselves around something that's different than the patterns of this world, right? It's tension. So sometimes we want to say tension. That's, tension is, is bad. Like, we can't have any tension, right? I can't imagine. I wouldn't want to live a life without some kind of tension, right? Because we wouldn't have guitars. We wouldn't have violins, We wouldn't have pianos if it weren't for the tension that's put in the string. Tension can be harnessed for good. Tension in your back, not so good. I hate that, right? Tension in a great story. I love great stories. I love cliffhangers because they reel us in, right? We are designed to be enticed by tension. 
But there are these other kinds of tension that you and I live in that we have to figure out. And I'm not convinced they're good or bad. I think it's the reality that we live in. And so the question for us today is what do we do with the tension, right? The tension between knowing that Jesus says in his word lays out these, this four-act story for us, right? Act one, things were good. Act two, things got messed up. Act three, the hero came and began to set things right. And act four, someday when we get to it, we are going to live in a world where we won't have to go to funerals anymore, right? We're going to live in a world where the news is going to be so boring because there's not going to be any pain or strife, right? There won't be the challenges that we face. So we have this God who promises us this on one hand and says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And then we have our experience where day in and day out, we find ourselves in situations, whether it's on the national or global news or it's in our own households, if it's in our own brains. There's tension between what God says and what we experience. There's tension between who we want to be and who we are. There's tension between the things that our hearts yearn for and the reality of whether or not they have come through. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, right, the old is gone, the new has come, but that change takes time. Growth, maturity, development, transformation, these things don't happen overnight. And so what we're left with is tension. Tension shows up all over this story in Acts 19 today. It says, beginning verse 23, about that time, some serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Ephesus, major metro of Paul's world. It's a, it's a, it's a meeting point. It's a connecting point. It's an epicenter of what's going on in this part of the world. And the way is one of the nicknames given the movement of Jesus, this movement that he started. Right, so there's trouble in Ephesus concerning the way, and it began with Demetrius. And Demetrius isn't too happy because this gospel has come into Demetrius' world, and it's, uh, it's bringing in new values. It's bringing in a new story. It's bringing in uh, a new understanding of worship and who's, worship, who's to be worshipped and how are they be to worshipped. And this is a big deal to Demetrius because he's in uh, the idol-making business. He's making idols uh, for Artemis, who is is one of the top gods, and I say gods because there are many. Acts 17 uh, goes back and points to this, right? They worship many different gods, but this is one of the main ones. And so when Paul comes and he's persuading people, right, that these handmade wooden gods are not to be worshipped, right? You can't really worship something that you could also use to keep yourself warm with kindling, right? Like, how do you choose the difference? Which wood gets to be in the campfire and which wood, you know, gets to be worshipped, Paul's beginning to lay out this new story, this new idea, and what it's doing is creating tension. One, because it's defaming the God that they have been worshiping, this powerful God that they believe is powerful, right? But he's also taking away their safety net, their sense of income. And so what Paul wants and what everybody else wants is different. And so there's tension that's being uh, created in this midst. And obviously, Demetrius, he pulls all of his employees together and his colleagues, and, and he must be a great speaker because it says in verse 28, at this their anger boiled, and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They start chanting, they start rioting, they start getting uh, people pulled together to create some kind of a ruckus. I mean, it says in verse 29, soon the whole city was filled with confusion. And what blows my mind about this and tells you so much about human beings then and today Right? If you read the story and go on, it talks about the fact that half of them, as they go to this amphitheater uh, that seats 25,000 people, right? We have every reason to believe that it's full. 
I mean, this massive group of people, Wells Fargo Arena starts filling up with people that are angry. When you start asking them, half of them don't even know why they're there. They're like, well, I guess I just saw that person who's angry, and I got angry, and here I am, right? Maybe a word for us as we live in this chaotic world these days. But this tension continues to go. People continue to get more and more frustrated, right? And they, they probably have a reason to be because Paul has taken away their very quality of life. He's taken away their safety net. Their, he's taken away the foundation that they build their life on. And the reality is that all of us have to go through this. And it's not just a one-time, I'm going to follow you, Jesus decision, right? It's day in and it's day out. Am I going to go God's way? Am I going to live my life for him and build my life on his word and his character and his kingdom? Or am I going to live out this other story? Am I going to have this other story that anchors my life? All of us have to choose how we, what kind of foundation we want to build our life on. Jesus says it this way. He says, you can't serve two masters. You can't worship God and money, right? You can't, you can't put your trust and your hope in two different things. You can't worship God and yourself, we live with this tension, right? And I think of it as like when the front two wheels of your car are out of alignment, right? You're going to spend more money. You're going to be more frustrated. Things are going to wear out. You're not going to live and operate the way you've been designed and operating if you're walking with tension. And all of us experience this, right? And God in his mercy, I believe, comes to us every day in every situation and offers us opportunities, not beating us over the head with this, but invitations, hey, do you want to come see this tension in your life? Do you want me to help you resolve this? Do we want to experience something new? I'm convinced there's no better litmus test these days than uh, where the tension is at in our life or how, what kind of tension we're living with between God's will and our life than the way that we treat the people around us, right? And it's not just the people around us. Like Jesus had something to say about this, right? Love your enemies as yourself, and he goes on to say, everybody can love somebody who loves them back. What about the people that are difficult, right? What about the people that drive you crazy? Have you met any of them lately? If it's the person next to you, just pretend it's not them right now, <laughs> right? But they're everywhere. I was in a Facebook conversation this week with several other Christian pastors, and they were coming down pretty hard on uh, a couple people. And I, myself included, and I just, I so badly wanted, I wish that there was a button on Facebook, you could press it, and everybody would be instantly transported into a room with like the best coffee and Lamy pastries, so everybody would just chill out, right? So we can be together, and so we can, we can get back to real life, because I just, I get this feeling like we... We turn into different people when we're online sometimes because there's, there's less this filter. I don't, I don't have to see the effects of what I'm saying and what I'm posting and what I'm, what I'm doing, right? I mean, the way we treat each other in those circumstances when not everything is on the line says so much more about where we're at, our character, about the tension that we live in with God and his word, right? I think about everything that we experience. I mean, we live in a disposable society. My wife and I learned this recently because we bought a digital camera a few years back. It was like a couple hundred dollars. Like I thought it was like a good, significant investment. And of course, my kids got a hold of it and they sat on it or something and broke the little part that like comes out to zoom, right? And so it was like crooked and it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, I spent like $300 on this. I'm going to go get this fixed. And the guy, I take it in there and I say, hey, can you fix this? And he laughs at me. He's like, are you serious? It costs like four times the amount of money to fix this as it would to buy a new one are you serious? And he looked at me and he's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we just, it's disposable. I'm like, 
$300 is disposable? Like, it's, it's crazy, right? But what's even crazier is the fact when you watch the way that we begin to treat each other sometimes, and all of us can be, can be prone to this, right? We may hold it together 89 to 99% of the time, but at some point, right, we all reach our limit and we've had it with other people. It's just the nature of who we are. I am amazed at how disposable we can make relationships sometimes. It's fascinating to me. And I think of this, especially where this begins to show up so often, is it tends to be the place where we spend the most time, right? The workplace. I love working for a church that's the healthiest place I've ever worked, but it's not perfect, right? Sometimes people think, well, you're so lucky you get to work with Christians. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Christians can be crazy too, right? <laughs> but so can any workplace. Corporate America, small business, working for yourself, right? Clients, customers, all of it. So here's this tension that we live in. Jesus comes to us, right? Well, even God comes to us in Genesis chapter 1. He says, he says that they're going to make humanity in the image of God. Think about that for a second. So valuable so worthy of our respect and dignity, all of those things. We all deserve love. And yet the opposite of that seems to happen so often. There's this whole tension that exists in our lives, and all of us are prone to it at some point. I was thinking about it this week, and it does seem like the workplace is one place that can happen, and sometimes there are easy examples to pick on, and this isn't just picking on him, but it is one example, right? I started thinking about this week about Steve Jobs, right? I'm, I started thinking about this guy whose legacy is literally in my pocket most days, right? The Apple computer company, fantastic designer, fantastic uh, leader. He's a brilliant man. But I, I've read up on him, though, over the years and done some leadership papers on him and stuff for grad school and everything else. And it's amazing to me how this incredibly brilliant man can do so much and yet cause so much pain and agony in those who love him the most and spend most time around him. I brought a clip today of a biopic of his that I watched recently. As you watch him talk to his best friend, the person who knows him the best, and his business partner, former business partner, right, See if you notice any tension between this picture that God gives us of this reality that we live in that he desires for us and what you see actually happening. Let's take a look. Spoken like a computer engineer, right? Binary. When was the last time you used binary in your everyday language, right? But he's got a point. You can be decent and gifted at the same time, right? But it seems like in the world that we live in that there's this tension that we experience where people say, no, 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 you can only have one or the other. And if push comes to shove, you can't have both. You have to choose one or the other. And yet it's the midst of this that Jesus comes to us, right? Just with these nice, gentle, nice, easy, attainable goals, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody got that checked off? Got that completed? Right? What about this one? It's a little easier. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. Right? No, oh, we're still working on that. And I know that this is not easy. I mean, I, I think even about the little people in my house and the challenges, right? They're getting, they're getting less and less little, and they're getting more and more creative at their ability to push back. And 
and they figured out how to push some of my buttons, right? And what does love look like in those situations when they anger me and they frustrate me and, and I don't know how to respond? Well, all of us find that and, and we're challenged with this idea and yet these commands from Jesus, they still lay out in front of us. As we live in this world that comes at us from a million directions, whether it's directly or whether things around us are changing and we just don't know and our, the temptation is there for our defenses to go up, right? Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And here's the good news this morning. Let's not forget that this book of Acts, it's not really the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so the good news throughout this book, I'm convinced, comes to us as described in Galatians 5 when Paul begins to talk about this Holy Spirit. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear, right? When, when it's up to you what you're going to do, here's what's going to happen. And notice, Paul's got this list of like 20 different sins, and only a couple of them are usually the ones that we make like the really big sins, right? Like impurity, drunkenness, wild parties, stuff like that. What he spends most of his time talking about when he talks about our brokenness, this is what he talks about. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, right? This is who we are when we're left to our own defenses in the brokenness. But verse 22 comes along and Paul writes this. He says, but... Right? which is actually an acronym, it's a conjunction, but behold the ultimate truth. Right? When you read a but in scripture, you can put everything before that off to the side and you can focus on what God's saying after it. This is what he says. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so often I thought about that self-control. I think for me, it's been more to do with like driving by Bebops rather than stopping and ordering a, a value meal. But I wonder if these days, if that self-control piece isn't more like not reacting, right? Not fighting fire with fire. When you see something that doesn't make sense to you, you don't respond in kind, but you respond with the power of the Holy Spirit, with these fruits. The good news this morning is that God hasn't left you on this planet alone. He's given you a factory to be able to produce the kinds of fruit that we need that brings his kingdom to earth, that brings heaven down here to earth for us to experience. God's given us everything. And it's not just that he's given us the fruits of the Spirit, right? He says to us uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. He says, you don't have to work hard to add pleasant flavor, right? You don't have to work hard to keep things afloat. Salt keeps things afloat. It preserves, right? It adds the spice to life to make things taste better. This is who you are. It's not something you have to go out and work really hard to do. This is who you already are, Jesus says. You are a light that shines in this darkness. He says you're residents of this kingdom. You are children of God. He comes to you and he says all of this stuff. He, it's like he pours this into our lives, which brings me to one of my favorite illustrations of the kingdom of God ever, right? A cyclone cooler. Who doesn't love the... I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm trying to create tension. You all are supposed to get mad at that. Like, ooh, the cyclones, right? No, here's actually what... And maybe it's because I grew up on a dairy farm. I have no idea, right? But here's one of the, the most helpful images of the kingdom of God for me these days. It's not in the Bible. I just made this up. But you can think about this for a second, right? And if you're lactose intolerant, maybe this doesn't... You don't think this applies to you. Just sub it for almond milk or whatever you need to do, right? But here's the thing, right? You have been created 
with substance. You have been created with flavor. You have been uh, created with the ability to nourish other people, right? Being in relationship with you on a good day at least, it tastes really good, right? It adds something to people's lives. You are something to be experienced no different than a glass of milk. So if this is you, right? I used to grow up on a dairy farm drinking from uh, the milk of a cow. Like it, was, it had been fresh, you know, and it was, it was delicious, right? There was no better taste. And I thought, this is unbelievable until one day my mom came home with one of these, right? I'm like, how do you make a glass of milk taste even better? Like you put the whole bottle in the one cup, right? <laughs> this is you, when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what he really wants to do, I'm convinced that in our story, God has come to us and he's poured his sweetness into our life as well. He has added his love and his grace and his mercy. I really love chocolate, so I'm just going to keep going. And God has given you so much, right? More than you dared to understand or believe. God has given you these things in our life. So when my mom would make chocolate milk for us, right, she'd pour the sweetness in, we'd put it in the cup, and we'd just drink up just like this, right? Or not. Here's what I'm convinced of when it comes to the Christians in this world that we're living in today. There are far too many of us living in this crazy world that walk around looking like this, right? We've, we've experienced, we've tasted enough to know that God is good, and we know that that's been, it's made its way into our lives, but we have not done the hard work. And this is where this narrative that Christianity is easy and it's comfortable is dead wrong. Ask Paul or any of these guys in the book of Acts, the women too that are leading this under the radar, right? Totally not represented adequately in the stories, right? They've done this hard work of letting God rattle their cages and turn their worlds completely upside down so they don't just find themselves walking around with a little bit of God's love and grace in their life. But they've allowed God to get all over their story. And what he does is turns their life upside down. He puts them out of their comfort zone. He puts them in relationships that challenge them and he puts them in situations where they don't have any other way out except to trust God. And what happens in the process is this goodness and this sweetness and this confidence in him makes its way into every single nook and cranny of our life. And here's the result. It's refreshing. I think my question for all of us, myself included here today, is when we're around the hurting and the broken and the marginalized in this world, do they see us as refreshing? Or do they see us as people too busy to take time, too scared to say anything, too distracted to even pay attention? I'm convinced if we will continue to allow God to do what he's promised through the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll start to look more and more like that. And the world is going to get a drink of something they have been longing for for a long time, but it doesn't happen sitting in this building and not letting God into these other parts of our lives. I'm convinced Paul had experienced all this. I'm convinced that he had tasted this. Here's how I know, because in verse 30, he's on the outside of this amphitheater with at least 25,000 people estimated that are confused and angry at him because his ministry has been stealing their business and throwing everything into turmoil. But you know what Paul's reaction is? He says, I want to go in anyway. 
You see, he's tasted this gospel. In fact, he says in Romans chapter 1, he says that I'm not ashamed of this good news or this gospel about Christ because he knows that it's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. He's tasted it to the point where he's willing to do the hard work to bring it to people. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He's consumed by it. And he's in touch with his brokenness and the tension in his life enough that he's able to experience God's grace and allow God into these parts day by day to resolve this tension and create something the rest of the world is longing for. Jesus talked about this as well, John 16. He promises his disciples the Holy Spirit. He's in his farewell discourse, this section of John, it's his final marching orders before heading to the cross. He says, I have to leave. Because if I don't leave, the Spirit won't come. The Spirit who will guide you into all truth, who will remind you of who you are, who will produce this goodness, this sweetness in your life. So I don't know what it looks like for you to live this out day in and day out, but I have wrestled with this question, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to show up even in the places we work? What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be on Facebook, in our neighborhoods, around our dinner tables, even the place we work? And as I wrestled with that question, I came across another little mini documentary about a woman named Kimberly, runs a construction company in Austin, Texas, right? Holy ground? Yeah. I think she would say yes. As you watch this, see if you can begin to notice the tension between the way she's doing business and Steve Jobs is. Let's take a look. So Waz was right. It's not binary. Did you catch what she said in there? We did great work and built great relationships. There's so much going on in this world, it's far too important for us to ignore, for us just to walk away quietly, but rather to embrace this God who's on the move, whose gospel changes everything, who's given us this factory to develop the strength to bring light into this dark world. Well, where does it all begin? I'm convinced it begins by choosing to walk with him. And not just him, but walk with him through relationships with other people. The more we get to know ourselves and we get to know other people and allow other people to get to know us, God goes to work on us, producing these fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's not comfortable, but it is good. So today as we close, we don't just walk away, but we choose to stand and to sing and to worship and to celebrate this God who has overcome. So I want to invite you to stand right now as we sing to this God, as we invite him into our lives and ask him to send us where he wishes to send us. Let's sing. Let's sing.